Hey, well, we're really excited about tonight. Uh, you already know Shun said, we have our uh, campus pastor, Pastor Neil Greyhouse, in the house, if y'all are excited about that. And it's really awesome because we asked Neil to come because he's our Conway pastor. You guys got to know we're just a ministry. Without the local church, we're nothing. And, and Pastor Neil and Gina are our Conway pastors. But every time Pastor Neil comes, um, the, the rules go out the door and we have a blast that we really hear from God. And so I need y'all, I, we're going to cut straight to you. I need y'all to give a loud and proud Elevation Nation welcome to my pastor, your pastor, Pastor Neil Greyhouse. Come on, somebody. Come on. There we go. All right. Hey. It's going to be so good. Amir loves no rules moments. He loves them. Actually, uh, learned it from me. That's good. Thank you. Uh, my wife, Gina, and I, um, we love coming here and hanging out with you guys. Here's what I believe about young adults. I was actually just talking with Pastor Rick about this today. and I'm, I, this, this might be a super serious way to start. Remind me to scratch this next time. I was thinking about this. Um, you know, you don't see a lot of 80-year-olds getting baptized. You don't see a lot of 80-year-olds changing their ways and all of a sudden switching things up and doing things differently and going, you know what, I need to change what I'm doing. Scott, I'm going to do more. I need more of you. Young adults are the ones who are setting the way. They're setting the pace. They're the ones who are going after God, and they're saying, listen, I, I don't care what everybody else is doing, but God, this is what is in your word, and I'm going to go do it. And here's what I want you guys to know, that if... If you guys can get a hold of some of the things that Amir, some of these different leaders who have been up here and the way they're teaching you to find your place in this and then out in this city, Conway needs you. The future of this city relies on you guys and what you do with Christ. And I want you to know something. You might not think that you're called. You might not think that you have anything to offer, but I promise you, you do. And if we don't, God will use somebody else. And here's what I say. Not on our watch. No. Look, there are fifth graders. The strongest group of fifth graders we have ever seen in our church have come through, and they're over here in 412 right now, and I'm telling you, they're going to shake some things loose. we got to set the standard for them. we got to set the way. we got to go for it with God, and I believe this is a room full of people that are going to do that, okay? So, uh, no rules. Um, I, just, I hope you guys see the example that Amir sets for you guys. And I would challenge you to find somebody who prays more for you. I would challenge you to find somebody who loves you more, who talks more about you. We cannot get him to shut up. We're in a meeting. I was like, you know, what else? Here's what we did. FYP. We're like, we get it. He's nonstop, man. This guy eats, sleeps, breathes. He's thinking about you guys. And if you wonder, in the middle of whatever it is you're doing, if you wonder if anybody's praying for you, I want to promise you, he and a whole set of leaders are praying for you day in and day out. And you got to know this. When somebody's praying for you, things are going to change. Things are going to, they're going to shift. There's going to be all kinds of stuff happening. So when somebody's praying for you, I just want you to know that means God's best is going to happen in your life. So that's what we're believing for you guys. Uh, this, this message is, is something I, I actually, Pastor Rick and I have been talking about. And two weeks ago at Easter, he mentioned something. And he just mentioned it in passing, and then he expounded on it briefly just this past week. And he said something that it actually, it just messed with me because I, it, it's like, I understood something in the background about the way the people are following after Jesus, but it wasn't until he said it a certain way, I went, oh my gosh. And I wrote down in the middle of service, I said, I, I need to start studying what following means. Because here's what, here's what he said. He said, a lot of times what happens is 
we ask God, we say, God, I need you to forgive me. I need, your, I need your redemptive power in my life. I need you to heal my life. I need you to set things straight. God, I need you. And then sometimes what we don't do is repenting means to turn from what you did, turn and go towards God. So whatever it is that you were doing, you need to repent. We turn our back on that and we go towards God. But what happens is a lot of times we repent. We say, God, I'm sorry. I need you in my life. Please help me in this. And then instead of turning and going his direction and following his lead, we just say, will you come with me as I continue to do what I was doing already? And it messed me up. So um, he said it again this past week. And I, so I, I called him. I just talked to him about a half hour ago. And I just started asking a bunch of questions. And we started dialoguing about this. You're going to hear some of this. And the, the notes are going to be all over the place. I don't know what you're going to write down. I really have no clue. I'm sorry. I'll just apologize. Um, Five year, uh, when I was five years old, I don't know who posted that picture of me as a, a fat baby, a greasy-faced baby, by the way. That kid, my wife, when she saw her, she goes, aw, that's a cute baby, it's you. It's amazing. My forehead went all the way back to here. It just never stopped. It just kept on going. So when I was five years old, um, my parents, my, my dad got divorced when I was two years old. And he got remarried to my mom, really the only mom that I've ever really known. And she had, um, she had a son from her previous marriage, and so we had a blended family. And then they had two more kids. I went through custody battles, all kinds of crazy stuff. When I was five years old, my parents, to uh, make sure that I didn't have to go do some custody battles with my natural mom, they put me into a summer camp, and I went to Camp Carl just outside of Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Let me tell you something. That place is hopping, man. It's happening. Cuyahoga Falls is where it's at, okay? Camp Carl in a little tiny cabin. I was sweaty, greasy. Uh, I'm sure I hadn't bathed, but we were there all week, and it was just an excuse. My parents took me out of the, the norm, the routine, and put me there, and they didn't know that that was the time. That was the moment when I was going to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. So here's what happened. Camp counselor is talking to us, and, uh, and he said, listen, this is a personal decision, you know, and I don't know why, but at, at five years old, I'd already started to, to learn how to not trust people. I'd already started to not take people at face value, and I said, listen, that might be all good and well, but I don't want you to influence what I am doing, so I'm going to figure out a way to ask Jesus into my heart on my own terms without anybody else around. So I didn't do it in a large group setting like this, and that that actually happens a lot. I, always, I have this tendency, I'm going to go off by myself, I'm going to get with God, and I'm going to figure out, God, is this really you? And so what I did is, I went back into the cabin, everyone had left, and I crawled underneath the, I, if, okay, everyone has a secret power, that if you wish you could have it. What mine is, was not being noticed. That was my secret power. I'm just telling you, like, I could blend in, and no one would even know I was there. I somehow snuck away, and I got off by myself, and I crawled between the mattress and that weird little metal spring frame underneath there, and I put the, the mattress on top of me. I'm laying against the metal whatevers, and I laid there for about 10 or 15 minutes, and no one knew I was in there. They left. They went, I don't know what they were doing, horseback riding or something. I didn't go. Went down to the candy hut without me. There they go again, leaving me behind. And I was down there by myself, and I asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. And that was when I received the gift of salvation. And we were in and out of churches for the rest of my life. Both of my parents got kicked out of Baptist Bible College. We could talk about that later. They both got kicked out separately for, oh gosh. So we, we church hopped. I've probably been into 30 different styles and types of churches, but I built up a cynicism because I based a lot of my Christian walk off of what I saw other people do. And I slowly learned to not trust that anyone was really a Christian because they said one thing and they did another. And it drove me crazy. Now, um, 
I'm sure in those teenage years and high school years and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure I, I tried to put my hope in Jesus and, and rededicate and whatever. But it wasn't until I met my wife and when we were dating, we were about a year and a half into it, and she remembers, um, she challenged me. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, this is the catalyst for why it happened, but it really caused me to ask some questions. And she started to describe to me the kind of man that she was going to marry. She's describing this guy, and I'm like, I know you're not talking about me. That is definitely not me. She talked about a guy who led his home well, talked about a guy who was in the Word, talked about a, a man who was spiritually strong, who led spiritually, who was thinking more about what God thinks and what everybody else thought. And so she described this, and it really challenged me. So I went off by myself, and I didn't hide under a mattress, but I went off by myself, and I just really got alone with God. And I said, God, I need to make some serious changes. And that was when I decided to follow Jesus. And there's a big difference there is a huge difference between those two. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, the, these, these thoughts may challenge you a little bit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this punchline. And the, the last thing I'm going to say in this message, I'm going to tell you now. That way you have it. And then later on, by the, by the time we get there, you, you'll kind of understand where we're headed. I believe that there's actually a lot of people in this room who, if we're being really honest, we don't know that we're all that close to God, but we, we kind of, we've... We've done some of that on purpose. Like, this is the Bible Belt. I actually, there are people who are unchurched, but I believe most of us are dechurched. We're ticked off about something. We got hurt about something. We don't like it for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you don't really buy into it anymore. It challenges you too much, whatever that is. But I believe we've kind of stiff-armed Jesus a little bit. Here's what I want to say. This statement, and it's kind of bold, and I think this may actually speak to a lot of people in this room. It definitely speaks to me. And the reason we stay distant from Jesus is because we think we already took care of that part. Say that again. The reason why we stay distant from Jesus is because we think we already took care of that part. But the truth is, we are saved by grace, and grace changes us. Grace should change you. Something should change. But we tend to stay a little bit away on the fringe of the things of God. And if you're really being honest, I want you to just ask yourself, am I a strong with God, is my relationship with Jesus as strong as it really could be? And you can gauge that wherever you're at. You might be at the best that it's ever been, and that's great. But we say things like, I've accepted Jesus into my heart. I received the gift of salvation. Right? We take communion. But those are all in response to a gift. But I want to ask you, what is Jesus asking us to do? And one of the things that he's asking us to do is he's asking us to follow. Now, here's uh, this I don't know how articulate this is going to sound, but we, I think sometimes we want just enough of the Lord to feel like he's with us along our walk. And I want you to know that's backwards. We want just enough of the things of God to know that he is with us along the road as we're going through life. But in all reality, what God wants is he wants us to want to be him as he is moving, not instead of asking him to come with us as we are moving. And there's a huge difference. So if you start going backwards and you look just through the Gospels, we're going to do it. There are 58 times. We're not going to search all those. 58 times there's something that happens. And I didn't know this last week, so I'm telling you this is brand spanking new for me. The word, the word follow in the same sentence as the name Jesus happens 58 times. 58 times. So what happens is this. I'm, I'm not going to read all of them. I'll just read a couple. Matthew 8.1, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Uh, Matthew 12, 15, so many followed him and he healed them all. Luke 9 says, but the crowds were aware of this and followed him. Matthew 20, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. 
John 18, Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Last one, Matthew 9. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. Get this. And he got up and followed him. Now, there's this thought is every single time Jesus showed up, there was a crowd. There always was. And the crowd followed Jesus. But there was this core group of people that got really, really, really close. And they took it way past just the following. They got to the point where it was actually, they were dying to themselves, to their old way of life. And they were saying, Jesus, I'll do whatever it takes. There's a huge separation between those two. We won't get into all of that. I just honestly don't have enough time for it. What we're going to do is we're going to go through this section of Scripture. It's actually Matthew, or sorry, Mark um, Mark 8. We're going to look at verse 27. I'm sure it'll be up on the screens here. We're going to read this for a second, and uh, I'm going to show you uh, a little bit in this story that, that maybe you haven't seen before. So this is Mark 8, 27. Uh, Jesus actually just got done healing a blind man, and he's with his disciples. And it says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. You start studying out the Bible, you will hear that city, that name, that town, you'll hear that over and over and over again. I don't know what you think it looks like, but it probably looked very different than what you and I think. We think that it probably had these cathedrals and these, these pillars and all this other stuff. Jesus was saying, let's get the, the disciples, let's get out of the office for a little bit. Let's go someplace and let's just talk. Caesarea Philippi was actually very well known and scattered all over the place with pagan worship, idol worship. There were, there were um, altars all over the place. You couldn't walk through the town square. So if this is a town square, there are hundreds and thousands of different altars to different gods all, all over the place. And Jesus is walking his disciples through that. And it says, as they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? It seems like a trick question. It usually is with Jesus. It says, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the other prophets. Here's, here's why they say that. At that time, reincarnation was very heavily influenced in, in a lot of religions. So most religions believe that if you died, you did certain things right, you would come back as another person, as another thing or whatever. And so the reason why they're saying, some people say that you're John the Baptist, John the Baptist had just, not long before this, had actually had his head cut off. And they thought, maybe you're John the Baptist, come back. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're these other prophets. They're not really quite sure who, who you are. And then he asks them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. He gets it right. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And there's a reason why. Peter just kind of stumbles on it. He says something, but he doesn't totally understand what he's saying. He says, you're the Messiah. You're, you're, you're Jesus. You're the, you're the chosen. You're the one who's come back to rescue us, to save us. And he says that because it's the right answer, but he doesn't really understand it. That's one of the reasons why Jesus says don't say anything, because they honestly could not wrap their brain around it, and he didn't want them out there spouting off a bunch of things that weren't true. So Jesus goes on right after that, and he starts to tell them, listen, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to get murdered. It's going to be torturous. It's going to be brutal. I'm going to be sacrificed. I'm going to go to the cross and die, and they're going to bury me, and in three days, I'm going to come out of that grave. And he explains this to them very clearly. And then in, in verse 32, it says, As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. All right, this is Peter. Peter reprimands Jesus. He just decides, he goes, now here, this is the best part, though. He goes, and he talked about this openly. Peter took him aside and began, began to reprimand him. He never really finished, I guarantee you. Jesus cut him off at some point, like, Peter, just shut it, man. You're way off, buddy. You're way off. He, but Jesus, let me ring you over here. Bro, you can't talk like that. How dare you? I guess really what Peter does, okay? So Jesus turns around. He basically, he, he says a couple things, and this is the best part. Verse 34, he says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples. So think about that. He was talking to his disciples. 
But there's also this massive crowd that's around. They're just a little bit further away, and he calls them, so they're all close. And here's what he says. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. This is, this is what Jesus is act, he's asking of us. He's asking for us to follow him. Now, here's, here's something that's interesting. When we think about the cross, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, pick up your cross and follow me. We think about the cross, and we think about it with reverence. We look at it. We light it a certain way. We have it out in front of our buildings. We wear it around our neck. If you're a, a good Italian United Auto Worker up in Northeast Ohio where we were born, it's like steel mills. They all, it was a, a big gold chain and a crucifix. But they didn't do it like, because you know, it's what everybody was doing. They did it out of honor and respect. But I want you to realize that the cross to those people represented capital punishment. It represented shame. It represented a guilty party. It represented something completely different. It'd be like today, all of us walking around, and we're wearing a gold necklace with an electric chair on it or, or lethal injection. We're like, hey, bro, man, he's risen. It's super weird, okay? Do you understand the difference? Like that no one would do that today. But when we read this, we read this in 2016, and we're thinking, and he's like, pick up your cross. And like, yes, Jesus, I'm, gonna, I'm doing it. I'm going to pick up my cross. The old rugged cross. It's going to be incredible. no. See, back then, what would happen is, is they're walking along the road. See, these, Rome, when they would crucify somebody, they did it as a statement to everybody else, don't do what this person did. And they would leave these bodies hanging up there. They didn't always bury them. They would leave them hanging, and it was a marker saying, don't ever forget, don't do what that guy did. He's wrong. And so this cross represented a torturous death. And he's saying, you want to you pick it up? Now, here's why they were horrified at it. The average cross, most scholars believe it's about 300 pounds. Roman soldiers, the only reason why they had someone else carry it is because they didn't want to do it. It wasn't like it was like tradition. They just were like, bro, we're not lifting that. You carry it. That's what they said. So what they would do is they, they would have these people carry it. If they couldn't, they would find other ways. One of the ways they would do it is they would have the post up on the hillside. The post is there ready to go. But they would actually have the accused party, they would have the cross beam actually nailed to their hands. They would carry this cross beam about 100 pounds, they carry that to where the post is, they lay him down, nail that to the post, and, and crucify him from there. Most of them died from, they actually, they, they starved for air. Asphyxiation is, is the way most of these people died. It was a long, torturous death. It was days and days on that cross. When he's saying, pick up your cross and follow me, these people are like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, you want me to what? They're saying, Pick up my cross and follow you meant something different then than it does today. It means something completely different today. Now, before we get into this, I want you to know something. Jesus is not asking you to pick up your cross out of obligation or duty. You can't earn it, okay? He's not asking you to earn your salvation. You see people that march across the, the U.S. like 40 times in their lifetime, and they're carrying a cross. they got a beard down to here. It looks like Forrest Gump or whatever, and he's just running through the wilderness. It just happens all the time. People at rallies and protests, they do it. There's somebody, that happens all the time in Washington, D.C. You just don't see it all the time. Somebody will literally get on a cross. They'll be out like in front of the, the Washington Monument, and they're on a cross. It happens all the time. Jesus is not asking you to do that. Please don't think that, that that's what it is. But here's what Jesus is asking you to do. He's asking us to carry our cross not for salvation, but from salvation. And there's a huge difference. He's saying, I want your life to count. I want your life to matter. I want you to make a difference because I laid everything down for you. You don't have to earn this. I earned it for you. 
but I want you to carry this thing out of respect and honor for it, but I want your life to look different. Does that make sense? So he's not asking you to walk around with one of those, okay? So what should our lives look like in 2016 if, if we're talking about following after Christ? What does it look like to follow Christ? What should that look like in 2016? Following after Christ, it should be noticeable. Following Jesus should be noticeable. I don't know if you guys are taking notes. You should write that down. It seems fairly um, obvious, but maybe sometimes it isn't. We shouldn't actually be able to hide it. You should not be able to hide your salvation. You should not be able to hide the cross in your life. You should not be able to hide the following part in your life. It should look different. What does that look like? Um, following Jesus should change the way that we talk to people, the way we speak to each other. You should hear it in our words. <laughs> Follow, you're amening now. You want a little bit. The, the, way we, the way we spend our weekends, you should be able to see that we follow Jesus in the way we spend our weekends. Not as many amens on that one. Okay, that's okay. All right, I got you. That's no, fine. No, 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 it's okay. No, no, it's fine. Stick with me. The way that we follow Jesus should also be noticeable in the way that we date somebody. Hey, single people. Huh. The way that we date someone, how, how should you be able to see that you are a Christ follower in the way you date someone? You should be able to see that person the same way that Jesus does and understand that Jesus paid the price for them just as he did for you, and so then you respect them. And you show that respect in the way that you treat them and the way you treat them when they're not around. So when I, when, I was, when I was dating Gina and, and we got engaged, I was working in this steel plant, this big steel mill, and it was office. It's just, it was shop talk, you know? It was like shop talk all the time. And I remember, they all called me young pup because I would eat like two huge, like five-gallon bowls of rice-a-roni for like lunch every day. I don't know what it was. And it, it, it was just, it was all this talk. They were just, everybody had their own two cents that they would tell you. And I remember, I remember after I got engaged, um, oh gosh, Please don't have long engagements. Please. No, no, please. That's the one of the words. Just keep moving. Just stick and move, okay? When I, when I got engaged, let everybody know that, that we were engaged. I was so excited about it. And these guys started giving me advice. And I'll never forget this one guy. I'm at the microwave. And this guy walks up to me. His nickname was Bull. I don't know what. Now, I actually never really thought about that until just now. But his nickname was Bull. Huge guy. He had a romance novel in his back pocket 24-7. I don't really understand that. But and he comes up to me and goes, hey. He goes, you going to kick the tires on that thing before you take it out? I'm just making rice over here, pal. I don't really know what, Bull, what you're talking about. He goes, you going you gonna to kick the tires before you, before you buy that car? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, test drive. You, you going to test drive that thing? How come I'm son, I will cut you. Are you out of your mind? The, the, the way that we talk about the person that we are dating, the way that we talk about that says a lot about the way we view them in light of eternity and in light of the fact that Jesus paid an incredible price for them too. And here's the best thing about marriage. If you guys are looking to get married, guess what your job on this planet is? When you get married to somebody, your job is to make sure that they hit the fulfilled, called life that God has called them to do. Your job is to make sure that they hit their potential on this planet. It's not so that you get everything you want out of it. Kick the tires. I'm going to kick somebody. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Following Jesus should, should definitely be noticeable. I had a joke in there about a 9mm, but I, I, I scratched that one. I put that out there. It was a 9mm flat bill and sideways, not gun safety. It was sideways. All right, forget it. Number two, following Jesus should, is, is uncomfortable. Okay? Following Jesus is uncomfortable. It's actually better than the joke itself. It wasn't a good joke. Following Jesus is uncomfortable. And I know you're thinking, gosh, all right, I, we get it, I get it. I get, I. Now, Jesus does not want you to walk around in pain, okay? But think about how painful that really was. It's uncomfortable. It was something he was definitely carrying. When, when he's saying, I want you to follow me, here's, here's something. To, Jesus knew what he was going to go through, and he knew it was uncomfortable, and he did it anyways. Jesus, on Palm Sunday, 
Jesus is, is walking through this town, and the entire town is, is crying out Hosanna to the king. They're laying down their garments on the ground. He's riding his donkey, and they're waving palm branches at him, saying, you're the king. And he knew while he was on that road that not long after that, he'd be on this exact same road carrying a cross. Don't think for a second he didn't understand how uncomfortable this was really going to be. He didn't let circumstances, situations get him up and down. He knew it was going to be uncomfortable. And here, here's what, what I mean by that. Following after Jesus means you have to make some tough decisions, maybe about the way you spend money, maybe about the things you say yes and no to, maybe about the way you decide what job you want to take, not just based off of a salary, but based off of a divine calling that God has you here for a purpose, and does this fulfill that purpose? It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, okay? We'll get off of that one. Jesus, ultimately, what he, what he, what he wants, when I'm talking about uncomfortable, is it's going to take you doing something different for your life to actually represent, because he wants our lives to represent the resurrection, not just our lips. And that's what we do a lot of times, is we say that Jesus is Lord, we say that he's risen, but our lives don't necessarily represent it, and it's going to be uncomfortable because you're going to have to make some tough decisions. Number three, following Jesus is personal. Um, and this is, this is something, it's, at some point your faith is, is yours. It's not somebody else's. And I'm not saying that you can't lean on somebody else's faith, but it's one cross per person. At some point... You cannot rely on your parents, on your small group leader, on your roommate, on your best friends, or whoever that is to carry your faith. At some point, you're going to have to own it because God's called you to do something. And this is what we want. We want a Savior, but Jesus wants to be Lord, and Lord is different than Savior. It, it has, it's personal. Us laying our lives down, we lay our lives down for a king. He's a king. Don't ever forget that. And you walk around differently when he's a king, not just a Savior. We say, God, I'm, I'm willing to, I, this is personal. I'm going to own this. In fact, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to submit to you, and I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. Okay? Um, I, I think what happens is we sit here right now, and, and we are gauging. You're even doing it right now. You are gauging whether or not what I am saying sits well with you. As opposed to back then, Jesus would say something, and they would immediately do it. Now, I understand I'm not Jesus. But I'm not asking you to do immediately what I'm saying, but there's a responsiveness in us sometimes that we don't have there. What we do is we follow Jesus based off of a committee or what other people are doing, and it's a small discussion before we do it, and we gauge where is everybody else at in this. This is not necessarily a group decision. It's for you. But if we plan the way we're going to serve God the same way we do about where we're going to go for, for lunch, by who, where do you, the, one of the most frustrating things I've ever seen is when you get four or five people together and we cannot decide where we're going to lunch. Frustrates me beyond all. You ready for it? This is a secret. Oh, you're going to do this too. I cannot wait. This is going to change your life. If you get in a situation where there are a bunch of you and you cannot pick a place to eat and no one goes, I don't know where you're going to go. You want to go to Moe's? I don't want to go to Moe's. I don't like the way they talk to me. I'm going to walk in the door. You just, we have all kinds of reasons about why we're not going to go somewhere. Here's the best way to do it. You ready for this? When someone cannot make up their mind of where to eat, you suggest the lowest possible place to eat, and you say McDonald's. What this will do is it will spark inside of because McDonald's is not someone that you, a place that you choose to go. It's where you end up when you haven't made a decision. So you suggest, let's go to McDonald's. It will immediately up everyone else's game, and you will be eating well after you have that conversation. That's free. That's not in your notes, but it's free. All right? 
You're following Jesus is personal, okay? It's up to you. It's not up to somebody else. Don't let somebody else dictate where you're going to go for lunch, just like you're going to do with your walk with God. It's got to be up to you. You've got to get alone with God and say, God, what do you want me to do? It's also permanent. This seems really, really simple, but it's permanent. When people were crucified, they went up on a cross and they did not come back down. The only person who ever rose from the grave is Jesus and he conquered death in the grave. When people would get crucified, they would, go, they would carry that cross up a hill and they would die there. And they knew there was no coming back from it. I don't want any of us to think that we can kind of put this off, off on the shelf for a little bit. It's a permanent decision. It's a decision to follow Jesus. You're saying, no matter what, I'm going to keep following after you. The last one is, um, it has to be public. And this is where, this is where I want to land. Following Jesus is public. Um, the cross did not happen behind closed doors. It happened on a hill. And Roman soldiers did it because they wanted to make a statement. They wanted everybody to see that this is Jesus. This is the king of the Jews. And I thought you said that he was a savior. And they hung him on a cross so that the entire city could see. They didn't hide it backstage. They didn't hide it off in some other room. They didn't do it in secret. And Jesus didn't go through all of that so that we could keep what he did in secret. He wants us to be out loud with it. So your faith at some point has got to be public. So we talk about baptism. It's the reason why we celebrate those people that went public with their faith. This, is gonna, this, might, this At some point, I just want you to listen here in about, in about a minute and a half, you're going to hear some popping sounds because yeah, I hope this does to you what it did to my brain because I went, I went, what? I never saw this before. So in the Bible, there are 27 times in the New Testament where someone put their faith in Jesus, their trust in Jesus for the very first time, and the very next thing they did is baptism. They were water baptized. They were immediately, they said, I'm going to, I am, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. What's next? Baptism? Okay. And they went and they did it. Now, the purpose of baptism is to go public with your faith, but it is a public declaration of what Christ did at the cross for us. And what did he do at the cross? He defeated sin, death, the grave, all of it. One moment, done. So what, what baptism is, it is a bold statement saying, my old life of sin, my old life of my old ways, slavery and death and all of that, everything I used to do is done, and when I go in this water, I'm coming up brand new, and I want the whole world to know it. That's what baptism is. Have you ever stopped and wondered, if that's what baptism is, why did Jesus get baptized? Did he sin? Never. He believed that your faith should be public so much, he set the example again when he didn't have to. And he said, Jesus, or God, he said, God, Father God, here's what I'm going to do. I know this is important to you, that I am proud to have you as my heavenly father. And I want the whole world to know. And you see the way that God responded when he went in that water and he came out. The Bible says heaven literally opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And what did God say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's why we go public. And that's why Jesus was baptized, because he said, this is the beginning of ministry for me. This is what I'm going public, and that's what God wants for us. Our faith and following after Christ should always be public. Don't ever think that that's just this thing off to the side. It's not. Now, he did that to show us how important that public part was to God. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 11, it says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let me show you a picture. I was born in Akron, Ohio. Um, as far as I can tell, a lot of you guys know. Who else was born in Akron, Ohio? Anybody know? 
LeBron, James, okay, that, LeBron and I were born in Akron, Ohio, as far as I can tell, I'm between three and five rooms down from where he was born, no lie, that's just real, I also cannot stand LeBron, James, why, because he's a traitor, that's why, and I'm from Northeast Ohio, and we are, we just, now here's the thing, if they win, I promise you I'm going to change my tune, I guarantee you, I will change it, I will, I just, I, right now I have to be a bitter Cleveland fan, now in Cleveland, when they drafted him, they erected a sign. There's a, it's actually at the East Knight Street at the Flats in Cleveland, about two and a half blocks away. They erected this sign. And I'm telling you, the city lost their minds because they, they, that's the sign that's actually up there now. Okay, that's not the original sign. They erected this thing, and I don't know how many stories that is. I, I think it's like 10 different stories high. It's this vinyl thing. I'm telling you, people come there, and they pray before the games. They literally put things down there, light a candle before the games. It's unreal. It's like he's the Pope. Okay, let me show you what they did uh, after he left. This is the 24 hours, less than 24 hours, about 12 hours after. Uh, this is the first sign that was up. When he made the decision to leave Cleveland to go down to the Miami Heat, this is the next morning. And the reason why the crew is taking it down is because people were throwing Molotov cocktails at it. They were burning dumpsters in the, in the parking lot right below it, and they were screaming curses at him, okay? But this we are all witnesses sign is the way the world views things. I want you to realize this. What that means is we are all witnesses of LeBron James' greatness, okay? I do realize it's James. I'm just saying, you guys get that. That is, come watch me. Jesus talks about this. It's the upside-down kingdom. See, when he's talking about us being witnesses, he's talking about that we get to represent him. See, he made and stooped so low to make us great. The Bible says that he, he stooped down to lift us up. He turned things right side up, not upside down. He turned them right side up. And he said, I am coming so that you can be my witnesses all across the world, and you can be my example because I'm proud of you. And I did this at the cross so that you can walk around and show the world what I did for you. You're on display because of what I've done in you. See, we get this witness thing backwards. Jesus is so proud of us our lives should be able to do it without us ever saying a word. Something should look different. Following looks different. Now in John 13, uh, verse 36, I'm going to read this scripture really quick. It says, Simon Peter asked him, now, now keep in mind, we've been talking about how, how all these times Jesus and then, and then a crowd follows him. People follow him. And Jesus is asking us to pick up our cross and follow him. This scripture says something very different. And I want you to know that Jesus is not schizophrenic, okay? John 13 so Simon Peter asked him, he asked Jesus, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? So I'll lay my life down for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really? Will you really lay your life down for me? This seems very counterintuitive to what Jesus is asking us. And this is interesting because... Peter's saying, God, I'll follow you. I'll go do. And he's saying, are you really, really going to do that? Because Peter overestimated what his faith was at that moment. He believed that he was ready to die for Jesus, but I believe Jesus knew better. He was saying, Jesus, I'll lay my life down. And he knew he wasn't ready yet. Knew he couldn't do it in and of his own strength. He needed Jesus first. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit active in his life. And he wasn't and Jesus knew it. But just before that, Jesus had asked him to leave his family to leave his occupation, to leave his home, and to come follow him. But now he's saying, you can't follow me. He knew the exact measure of Peter's faith. He knew it, but Peter didn't. Peter said, no, I, I walked on water with you. Nah, no, no. See, here's, here's, here's where I think every single person in this room is at. 
I believe there are places in your life and mine, and I'm right here with you. There are places in our lives where we're lacking the things of God. And we know that we need to follow after Jesus, but we just haven't been able to break through in those areas yet. And there are places and moments in our life where we're not quite ready to follow after Jesus yet. I want you to know the reason why he says, don't follow, you can't go. Where I'm going, you can't go. Let me go first is because he was headed to the cross. And once he did that, he made it possible for you and I to follow him. But in and of your own strength, you can't do it. You can't follow Jesus in and of your own strength. You need his help. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what Hebrews 12, 2 says. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I want you to think about that. The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Best part right here. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Like, what? Now, I thought you said that the cross was like, it was a terror. I thought you said that the cross, people were horrified at that. Yeah. So why does it say for the joy set before him, he endured the cross? Why is it the joy? If the cross is so bad, I don't, I don't really understand that. I believe when Jesus was looking at the cross, a lot of different people think he, he saw you and me, he saw our face, whatever, you can talk about all that. I know that when Jesus looked at the cross, he saw right past it. And what he actually saw was an empty tomb. And that is joy. And so he knew what was on the other side of it, and he was willing to lay it all down. So he's not asking you and I to do anything that he wasn't unwilling to do himself. He was very willing to do it, and he laid everything aside so that you and I could follow him the way that he wants us to. So the, the sentence or two that I said at the very beginning, I'm going to say it again. It's the reason why a lot of us, we stay distant from Jesus is because we think we already took care of that part. And I would challenge you, maybe the reason why your life doesn't look any different on the other side of that taking care of your relationship with Jesus is because we made a decision. We accepted a free gift, but if we really followed have you really followed? Because if you're following, your life is going to look different. There's nothing you can do about it. You don't need to say a word. People will notice that there's something different about you. They'll be attracted to the Holy Spirit inside of you. They'll be attracted to the Word of God alive inside of you. If you're Listen, we're in year of the Bible, okay? If you're sitting here and you're going, I don't even know how. I don't know how I'm going to get to the other side of this. God, I don't know how to make my walk with God. I'm going to, this, is, this is a guarantee. This is a promise. I wish somebody would have told me this sooner. If you're trying to figure out how in the world am I going to get where Jesus wants me to go, we're in year of the Bible, all you literally have to do is read this. This is a promise to you, and it's not my promise. God says his words are alive. This is life to those that find it. It's health to all of their flesh. This is lighting up your next step, and the only way that things are going to look different is if you get in this and you read his word. I'm, I, I'm just telling you, if, if you have been hitting a wall time and time again in your life, and you're saying, God, I'm not seeing any breakthrough, read this. Come with us on You're the Bible and just read this. It will change you. Just the same way I talked at the beginning about the people that are praying for you, it will change you. A couple, couple thoughts here before we pray. A lot, of, a lot of our generation, this generation in this room right now, a lot of, a lot of this generation is saying, I want Christ. Don't, don't mistake that. A lot of young people are saying, I want Christ. But I don't, I don't see a huge number of people who are looking more Christ-like. I see a lot of us saying, I want more of Jesus. I want more of the things of God. But our lives don't necessarily look like more of God. 
there's a huge disconnect there. And this is not a slam. It's just that there's a difference between that decision and the following part. And it, it could be as simple as you saying, God, I'm, I'm actually, I'm past that decision now and I want to follow you. Everywhere that Jesus went, there was a crowd. We have to have young adults in the city that do this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to pray for just a second and then, and then um, we're going to worship together. But I, I want to pray for you because uh, I, I'm, I'm just going to be really, really honest with you for a second. This is where I spent um, a lot of years, exactly what I'm talking about right now. I'm not actually talking as if I'm just talking to you about something and I'm, I'm over here just pounding my Bible and saying, you guys are getting this wrong. Here's what I believe. Is I believe we get stuck in that spot because we think that that was enough. And that's just the very beginning of it. And my prayer for you guys is that you get this now when you're ready to make decisions in your life until it gets to the point where you can't make those decisions anymore because you're so set in your ways. We had a, there was a pool, we had a pool over here. I don't know how old this lady was. I want to say she was in her late 70s, maybe early 80s. And when she's getting in the water, uh, her, her daughter comes over. She goes, she can't hear a thing. Just, you know, she cannot hear a thing. You have to talk real close, but she's, she's deaf. She can't hear you. All right. So we got real close to her. And I said, I said, ma'am, uh, I said, have you, have you put Jesus at the center of your life? You chosen to follow after him. And she wasn't looking at me. And she turns, <laughs> this real raspy voice. She goes, son, I did that a long time ago. And I was like, oh, you sweet lady. Because you just don't see that all that often. You don't see a late 70s person get in this pool and say, I'm going to go public with my faith. But you see young people doing it all the time. And I want you to know something. I believe the reason why an older person will do that is because they are inspired and they're energized when they see you doing it. And they believe that it's worth it. You want to know what she said to us when she came up out of the water? She said, I've been waiting a long, long time to do that. There's a city that is watching you in this generation to see when is this next move of God? When is this next wave of God? And it's not going to come from people who say they want more of Christ. It's going to come from a generation of people who say they want to be more Christ-like. And they don't want to ask Jesus to come along the road with them. They're going to say, Jesus, wherever you're going, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do things the way you want to do it. You just say what you need us to do, and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's... We're over. Nobody got an I have decided shirt in the New Testament. Nobody had filtered water. No, no, nobody was ready for it. We talk about spontaneous water baptisms right now. We're like, you could sign up ahead of time by texting the word water to 88000. And then we have people who spontaneously get water baptized. You want to know something? Every single person in the New Testament who said yes to Jesus and said, I'm going to follow you, they were spontaneously water baptized. Why? Because they knew how real the message of Jesus was because there were crosses hanging up all over the place. And they said, my life's going to be different because I'm going to follow him. Oh, what? You want me to get baptized? Yes, I'll do it. They just had this yes, I'm going to do it mentality. That's what we need to have in this generation. And I believe it's going to light a fire in this city. I don't know what God has done in my heart for Conway, but I'm just telling you there's something different here. I've been to a lot of different cities all over this globe. There's something inside of this city where people are proud of it and this state I believe it's going to come from you guys. And I'm just asking you, don't just go through the motions of your walk with God. Let this be a moment where you say, I'm going to follow. I'm not making a decision. I'm not receiving a free gift. It is a free gift. Jesus, I'm going to follow after you because you paid a price and it's worth it for me to lay it all down and come your way. Close your eyes. Bow your heads.